for some reason, we leave our teenage years and we're like, okay, play is a thing of the past now. And I really believe this is the biggest scam of all time that we have perpetuated on ourselves because in its essence, play is, it's a spirit of exploration and learning done in a way where you're not so worried about the outcome. Are you ready to reclaim your life from exhaustion and expand the possibilities of what life can be? If so, I'm your guide, Evelyn Pachiti, work-life geek and engineer-turned-resiliency coach on a mission to redefine how we work, live, and utilize our energy. Each episode, I dig deep with my guests as they share their story, spark, and strategies for developing our own unique work-life play. This is Engineering Serenity. Episode 7, Choosing Play with Lily Higgins. Hi, thanks for having me. My name is Lily Higgins, and my pronouns are she, her. What is your age-ish? My age-ish? Yeah, you don't have to tell me your full age, just the general vicinity of age. I am 28, so proudly on the cusp year between Gen Z and Millennial. What industry do you work in? I am a facilitator and learning experience designer, and okay. I work in the area of organizational development and innovation and organizational culture. Super cool. How many hours do you work per week? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think I work four-ish days a week. In very weird hours. Like, I I feel the most productive usually at hours that are not particularly aligned with the traditional workday. <laughs> and I also give myself quite some freedom throughout the week when I can to go to a museum in the middle of the week or find ways to make sure that I'm staying inspired and energized. And I just noticed that if I don't do that, like everything else suffers. So I'd rather work um, work late and have spent the, the day or like my lunch, you know, doing something creative. Do you like your career? Yes and no. Okay. Um, well... I still feel I'm relatively early in my career. I have about six years of experience at this point. And in a lot of ways, I've shaped my career. Like I've shaped a very unique career path for myself. So in a way, it's it's what I've created. But I'm still trying to find really what is the sweet spot for me in my business where I feel like I'm operating at my best and doing the work that makes me really excited. Do you think generally you're on the right topic of the work that gets you excited and it's just an optimizing of your energetic flows? Or do you feel like there's a shift in the work that you specialize in? So I'm in this pivotal moment in my company right now for the last couple of months, which is really exciting. And I guess the reason why I said yes and no is is mainly just the the the, the entrepreneurship struggles. Like 
Mm. How do you stay emotionally regulated throughout a lot of uncertainty and um, like you're fully in charge. And if you're not making it work, then there's a lot that can go wrong. And just kind of like staying calm and staying confident through all the trials and tribulations of being an entrepreneur, that's the part that is really challenging. But it's part of the game and I signed up for it. So sometimes I'm like, why did I do this? But most of the time I'm really confident that the entrepreneurship path is the one for me. So it kind of depends on the day. But the question about, am I in the right field? I think I'm pivoting towards an area of work that is even more aligned with what I'm interested in. Up until now, I've focused primarily on facilitation and workshop design, really as like the core of what I do. And that will kind of stay the core of what I do. Like it's my core skill set. But I'm much more excited about actually focusing on the impact of the workshops and the facilitation that I'm doing and not just designing any workshop or facilitating any kind of session, but how am I actually creating the more beautiful world that I believe is possible, specifically in like how we think about our lives and work as a society and shifting really the yeah, shifting our values as society towards having a more life-centered way of working. So that's what's sparking my excitement and passion recently. And then I'm still trying to figure out what, which shape that will actually take as my business. Oh, but just that spark and that alignment of that shifting of the values and looking at how are we designing our lives and our works and pieces. It's something that also fundamentally propels me. So mm -hmm. you're such a beautiful guest to have today. Thank you. I'm so excited to dig into that with you. Yeah. So I'll ask you a few more fundamental questions and then we'll dig into the juicy bits. Do you have any hobbies? Yes. I am a total convert to improv theater. I've been doing improv for a little more than a year now. And it just is the best thing ever and is practically therapy. Mm. I've heard amazing things about improv theater. Yes. I, I always say, if you want more play in your life, a lot of people are like, can you get more play into your life? What's the first thing I should do? I'm like, sign up for improv. <laughs> it's that easy. <laughs> so speaking about play, I know you as a play expert. Yes. I love that this has become like part of my bio, part of my title. Never thought that I would be a play expert per se, but I did actually study play in school, like in my university degree, like I minored in applied play and games. So for the last, yeah, I've been working with play as a topic for about seven years now. So how would you define play? Because I think for a lot of people, the first reaction is it's a childhood thing and that it's restrained to games. As an adult, you have to be playing board games or video games or something like that in order to be played. Yeah, this is definitely a common misconception that I deal with a lot in my work. 
Um, and I also like to always preface talking about play by saying that I have actually never designed any game or any experience for children. I'm an expert in play, but I do not work with children. And this is because I believe that children don't need any help to play because <laughs> they do not need to be facilitated by me to play. Play is so naturally inherent to the way that we learn as a species. It's like an evolutionary part of who we are. And so when you're a kid, and you can see this like in children, but also in animals, young beings, they use play to explore the world. That's how children first find out about all kinds of things about the world. They, they explore their senses, they explore risk, they make mistakes, they, they act out roles with other kids. And through this play is actually like how they are learning and developing. So without play, we wouldn't be ourselves, essentially. We have to play. There's studies about children who are deprived of play and they really struggle with their development. But then for some reason, as you said, we leave our teenage years and we're like, okay, play is a thing of the past now. And... I really believe this is the biggest scam of all time that we have perpetuated on ourselves because in its essence, play is, it's a spirit of exploration and learning. And it's not only exploration and learning, but it's those two things done in a way where you're not so worried about the outcome. So there's this ability to explore the unknown and to even fail and make mistakes, to try on new identities without needing to say, okay, this is who I am now. Um, play is a way that people kind of push themselves to their limits and see what am I capable of. When you think of, for example, running a marathon, you could definitely see that as a way of playing. Because you are, there's a fixed kind of time frame and rules and you're like, how far can I push myself? And you're doing it out of your own, nobody's forcing you to run a marathon. I mean, hopefully not. <laughs> uh, that would be terrible. But another really important aspect of play is that it's done completely voluntarily. So as soon as you are being coerced, or forced is no longer play anymore. That makes me think a bit about playing in life, like things that you do because you should do, even though it could have this playing framework to it of failing and expanding your possibilities and exploring the options and not being afraid to make mistakes. If you're doing that, in a way that it has to come out in a certain way or it should, even if you're not being paid for it, for example, I feel like you lose that aspect of playfulness. Completely. And like, I love this phrase, like research is me-search, because what you're describing right now is, I think, my default mode of life. Um, I tend to be like on the perfectionistic 
scale very far to one side. And I, when I discovered play or rediscovered play as an adult, I was like, oh, wait a second. This is actually what I need in life in order to live a fulfilled life and just take things like way less seriously. And like, I'm always going to take things seriously. I'm always going to be a high achiever. But I actually like right above my computer, right behind your head, um, I have a a little like drawing that I made that says choose play um, because I really believe that what you just described of this kind of this should energy yeah. as adults, we accidentally frame so many aspects of our life as I should do this. I should do that. Oh, I shouldn't be doing this. Like, and we literally suck all the joy and all of the intrinsic motivation and potential playfulness that there is in pretty much every single thing that we do. There could be playfulness in really almost everything in life. And because we are not choosing it, we end up just like, we end up draining ourselves with and dying under the weight of all the shoulds. And I am 100% guilty of this. Like, I am not speaking up from like high on the mountain, like, oh, I figured it all <laughs> out. You know, like it's a, I really believe this is like my lifelong practice of choosing play every day. And I don't always succeed. But yeah, I like to think of it as a play mindset. It's something that you can shift into or almost like a pair of glasses that you can put on and see like, wait a second, I made this up. This is a game. I like to frame a lot of things in life as games. This is a game that I invented. For example, running my business, I can really easily start taking it way too seriously and be like, oh, but I should do that marketing. And I should really be doing events and da, da 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 And then I'm like, hold on, this is my game. I made this up. This is my path. And how can I choose a way that feels lighter and that's coming from my real intrinsic motivation to do this? Right. right. Talking about your business, where do you see the intersection of play and productivity? So I think the intersection between play and productivity is this ability to tap into your intrinsic motivation and your the intrinsic okay. energy that you have for things that are interesting for you. So I think it's really hard to be productive when you're dying under the weight of all the shoulds. Like you might be able to kind of slog along and tick off each thing on your to-do list with a ton of energy. <laughs> but I really think that if you're able to connect with, with play, it just makes it that, I don't know, there's just this, this completely different energy. And it's hard to describe a little bit, but it's really a shift that I make in my head sometimes. Like, I'll start thinking about a workshop that I'm going to facilitate. And I'm thinking, oh, I really need to make this great. These important people are going to be there. 
I need to make this really worth everybody's time. How do I do that? And I'm sure I can design a great workshop, you know, with those things in mind and those things are important. But as soon as I'm like, what would make this really fun for me? What would make this really fun for me and really fun for them? But what is exciting about this specific workshop that I've wanted to explore? What would I find so fun to facilitate? And usually reframing and kind of reconnecting with with what I find fun, that is going to boil over into the experience of my participants. Because if I'm having fun, I'm role modeling that way of interacting with the world. Yeah. And that's where I can find my energy back. You really inspire me to think because my first instinct is that play and productivity and work, like they're different ends of the spectrum. They're not allowed to coexist. Mm. And thinking about the way that you just said that, you're inspiring me to think about, okay, when we feel stuck, when we feel like we're in a place of obligation, Mm -hmm. whether it's in the businesses that we create, like you and me, or even when we're in our day job, how, where's the fun in this? What is the topic I want to explore in this? How can I take these ideas and grow and experiment and yeah where's the joy almost in these topics do you think that's possible in everything i think it's possible in a lot of things um you know doing your taxes is one of those things that i find very hard to inject play into personally but you know that i find that an extreme example it's funny my first reaction was like oh i know how to add play to my taxes Yeah, that's amazing because it's so different for each person, right? Like where, like, for example, I could find fun in designing somebody's funeral. Oh, Like I can find fun in really, really serious and potentially like dark topics. And to me, that's like an invitation to play even more. Um, It's really the bureaucratic tasks that like, slowly kill my soul because thinking about my taxes i'm like oh this is an opportunity to get an overview of all of the pieces and to break them down into different subsections and see like where's my overlap what's my venn diagram where am i spending my time and space how do i put my taxes with my time tracking Mm. and look for patterns Mm -hmm. and things and this is the obligationary moment to have this reflection point because i have to do it yeah That's really true. And I think this act of reframing just in life in general is like such an important skill because what I hear you're doing is saying like, you know, I want to have an overview over my time and my finances and where I'm spending my energy. And that's all a sort of holistic picture for you. And if you're able to kind of reframe to, I'm not doing my taxes, I'm taking a day to get an overview over what is coming in and out of my business and where I'm aligned and where things are misaligned. You know, it's the same activity, but the meaning and the sort of energy that you go into it with is completely different. And this reminds me a lot of this really cool little thing that I I do with teams sometimes called job crafting. And this is a method from an academic who studied all kinds of people in jobs that you wouldn't traditionally think of as fulfilling or fun. 
So, for example, she interviewed a lot of hospital janitors. Okay. And on paper, this this is a pretty tough role. Like you're cleaning up after operations and people who can't quite take care of themselves and stuff. And she found that the, they were a lot of hospital janitors were super happy with their roles. And she was like, well, why is that? And they were like, well, my job, yeah, my job is, you know, taking out the trash and cleaning up the room. But actually, the core of my job is um, taking care of patients and being part of their journey to, back to health. And the moments in my day that give me the most fulfillment are when I get to make jokes with the person who just came out of surgery while I'm, you know, changing the bed sheets or whatever. And so this reframe to like, I'm an important part of this person's recovery makes a job that in the actual maybe list of tasks is not particularly pleasant. Um, but I just think that's like the power of the reframe. Yeah. And the job crafting process is looking at where are you making an impact or? Um, it's where you're making an impact and what is meaningful like, why are you doing this job? What is yeah. it that you're actually sort of like, which gifts of yours are you able to emphasize more? Which values of yours are you able to sort of bring to the surface through your role? So for one person, a job as a janitor could be, I'm keeping the hospital clean. And for another person, it could be, I'm making patients happy. And that could be motivating, you know, for two different people. Thanks for that clarity. So we've been talking a bit about play and how it integrates into different aspects. One of the things that I wanted to touch on today was looking at the holiday season. I don't know. It, it, it has this, yeah, love-hate, complicated relationship with the holidays. And I wanted to have a conversation with you today about how do we come out of the holiday season? How do we come out of this period of what feels like a lot of shoulds mm -hmm. and obligations and come out feeling energized and re rejuvenated? Because I think in many ways, we all take time off from work. We're with our families and we hope that we start the year rejuvenated and refreshed. And I don't know about you, but there's been plenty of times that I've started in January 1st and I've looked forward to getting back to my routine where I can actually re-energize. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty tall order that we have for ourselves that we're going to sprint towards the end of our working year. Then we're going to drop everything and the next day be like knee deep in holiday prep. Then we're going to spend time with all these people who we don't see like throughout the year and be put in all these potentially challenging social situations. We're going to eat way too much food that is, you know, too fatty and drink alcohol. And then suddenly on January 1st, we're going to emerge as like a new butterfly, like ready to take on the year. It's just a fantasy world. Um, and January being, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, like the, the hardest month of the year, at least for me personally, like I wish that the start of the year started in April because that's when I actually feel like I can be reborn, you know, into the beautiful butterfly. And 
In January, I'm still in the cocoon. I'm not ready yet to emerge. It makes me think, does it even make sense to do our yearly planning or a reflection for the 1st of January? Does it make sense to shift it? Honestly, I really believe it makes sense to shift it. Like for me personally, I've been trying to honor a bit more like where my energy is actually lying in these final two months and in the final month of the year and then in January because I'm not mentally at my best in January. It's just not going to happen. You know, we both live in the Netherlands. It's the darkest, coldest, most depressing month of the whole year. And you just like, how can you like dream big and get, you know, out on the right foot? But I think there's... Um, there's a difference between, you know, new year, new me, and starting January feeling like you have actually been able to take meaningful rest in December and during the holidays, and that you were able to kind of regenerate a little bit. And that is really more my goal as we enter into this last month, is what do I need personally, but also with my family and with my community, what do I need to feel like I can regenerate my energy? And a lot of that is letting go of some of the shoulds of the holiday season and really checking in with yourself about, is this activity going to be meaningful for me? Is it an important ritual to mark the end of the year? Or is it something that I'm just doing because, well, I've always done it that way, or my family always does this specific thing, and yeah, it's really draining, but I just have to get through it kind of attitude? So how have you played with the way it's always been done over the years? So... I use a method, which I didn't realize that not everybody did this, honestly, to kind of figure out what what's going to make me feel energized. And I use a lot of visualization. Okay. So this is like step one before actually changing some of the things. But whenever I'm thinking about, um, let's say, how my holiday, how my Christmas week is going to go, or how I want to celebrate Christmas Day, or whatever it is. It, 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 I also use this for workshops. I also use this for like my normal weeks. I think through kind of the experience of what I would be doing, let's say on Christmas Day, how I would, how am I going to wake up feeling then, you know, that morning after having a Christmas Eve dinner? What mental state am I probably going to be in? What is going to excite me? What's going to stress me out? And I actually play through a kind of imaginary scenario of that entire day or even that week. And that way I, I can anticipate actually like where my energy is going to be and what's going to drain me and what's going to give me more energy. So I don't know if this is like a normal way of thinking but as someone who is an experienced designer, this is how I design, like, my workshops. Like, I think through the, ex the, the literal, like, 
physical and emotional experience of participants in order to design like a really beautiful flow that makes sense and feels good. And um, yeah, I do this with life, <laughs> with my life as well. And I'm thinking, hmm, well, that last week before Christmas, I'm going to want to be winding down. So for example, a collaborator of mine was saying, yeah, I really, really want to have this kickoff call in that last week before Christmas. It would make a lot of sense for this project. And I said, okay, I, I get that. But I just wanted to reflect on, is that actually in line with the energy and not only the energy level, but almost like the vibe of where we are all going to be mentally as we are closing that week before the 22nd? Are we in a state to have a kickoff? Or is that something right. that needs to wait? And it's, she was like, oh, I've never thought about, I've never thought about it that way. She's just looking yeah. at the calendar and saying, well, it makes sense for the project which is totally valid. But then I was like, yeah, but maybe like my vibe is not going to be that of like starting something new. I want to be I want to be closing and wrapping everything up. So that's yeah. step 1, to kind of calibrate with yourself and and run through a few scenarios of like, okay, is this holiday activity going to is it going to make me stressed? Or is it going to bring me energy and meaning? And be really honest about that. And I think an important question to add to that is, is this bringing me meaning even if it's depleted? Yeah. Yeah, like you can be in a social situation that it might tire you out, but you'll be happy that you were there. And then there's yes. other social situations where you're like, wow, what a waste of my energy. <laughs> Like that you were just going through the motions sort of to, yeah. um, yeah, like, oh, well, this is just part of what we do. So the next part of this answer, which is like, how do you play with kind of the status quo of, okay, this is what we've always done, starts yeah. with asking some hard questions to those around you. And the people who are um, maybe taking charge in organizing whatever those holiday activities are. So this is really where I put my experienced designer and facilitator hat back on again. And I engage in conversations where I really am questioning, why are we doing this specific thing? And what is the... Let's say, what is the emotional state or what is the, what is the need that we're trying to meet by doing this way of celebrating this thing? And yeah. it's really easy to just bypass this conversation because you're like, yeah, but we always have Christmas Eve dinner on this day at this time with these people. But if you actually dig back into what is it about this tradition that's meaningful for our family or for our yes. community or whoever you're celebrating with yeah. and kind of interrogating a little bit like not let's not just be on autopilot but let's let's be intentional with okay well really what we're trying to do on Christmas Eve dinner 
is, let's say, hear about each other's year and reflect on the end of the year. That could be one thing. If you're in a religious family, well, maybe the really the goal of the Christmas Eve dinner is to get in touch with your faith. Maybe the goal is something completely different and sort of understanding for the group that you are in, what is it that is bringing meaning? And then how can you emphasize that and de-emphasize all the like other little stuff around what you're doing that might actually not be contributing to a meaningful event and could be adding more unnecessary stress. So maybe it's not about having like the fanciest dinner. Like maybe you you order takeout, but you have a really intentional conversation about your fate. And that actually meets your need for um for the thing that's important to your family. And for my family, I think part of the beautiful thing is the cooking. So the cooking takes center stage and it's something that we do together. And that it's like a whole lead up to that event. And then we celebrate with another family. And so how can we be, yeah, just more intentional and more... um also willing to say, actually, this part of, we've always done it this way, but it's not really adding to the purpose. So why don't we just cut it out? Because we don't need to be expending extra energy to, to sort of put on the show. Let's stop making the holidays like a performance. Yeah. I'm just going to let that sink in. Let's not make the holidays a performance. And I think just that in itself just how do we make it step away from that? So you're looking at your energy levels throughout this season and what brings you energy, what doesn't. You're asking strong questions. You're visualizing your week to identify where those moments are. You're asking the challenging questions to sort of rewrite the script. And then do you do anything intentionally to add rest it? If rest is an, an intentional aspect that you want from this last month, is there anything you do specifically there? Yeah. Um, well, I, for example, go out of office. Like I just end my working year relatively early, as early as I can every year. Last year I ended on December 1st, actually, which was incredible. And I thought, wow, I'm going to do this every year. And then, of course, now here we are on December 5th and I'm still working. But, you know, I'm traveling to the U.S. in less than two weeks and I will pretty much be ending my working year when I arrive there. So just giving yourself more sort of like buffer space than you think you actually need or you maybe you think you deserve, which is another really interesting um sort of branch of this whole like rest uh, topic, like do I deserve to rest? I, I, I really love diving into that. Um, yeah, just giving yourself more space than is maybe like 100% necessary, like not scheduling things up until the very last second, but just giving myself breathing room in my calendar and intentionally just having 
plenty of days where there's just nothing happening in in my calendar. For me, that's like that's absolutely critical. Um, but I personally, uh, I've struggled with chronic fatigue for like probably ten years or so, and so it comes quite naturally or more naturally to me to to really look out for overexerting myself. Can you define chronic fatigue? It's a term that I've heard used, but I don't think it's really understood. And as someone who's experienced it for a long period of time, I'd love to get your perspective on what is really chronic fatigue. Yeah. Um, well, it looks really different per person. That's something I've also discovered. There's really different sort of uh, intensities of chronic fatigue. And for me, it's it's just kind of a constant tiredness, even though I'm sleeping enough hours and I'm exercising and I'm eating well and sort of doing all the things, you know, that you're supposed to do. But my energy levels are just a few levels lower than maybe, quote unquote, the average person. And I get overexerted more quickly especially by certain things and um it also fluctuates in different seasons like in winter it's worse in summer it's better um but it's just an overall for me it's a really heightened awareness of the fact that my energy is a limited resource and that I sort of know intuitively by now like, okay, if I do these two things on a day, that's it. Like, that's right. that's all I can do. Um, yeah. So for me, it's just a sort of sleepiness. Being aware of your energy levels like this, has it shaped the way that you work today? Absolutely. Like 100%. For example, I meet sometimes facilitators who say, oh, I have like six workshops this week and I have two workshops on this day. And and I'm thinking to myself, like, are you a superhuman? Because I don't think that I could ever actually, like I physically would not be able to do that. Um, after I give a, a workshop, usually I need to like go lay down on the floor and I almost can't even have anything else in my schedule for a day where I'm going to give, let's say, like a two-hour workshop because it just – I give it my all and I know that I will be depleted afterwards and I am going to need time to rejuvenate myself. Um, yeah. So I'm very strict – with the way that I schedule my time. Uh, for example, I also don't do like back-to-back-to-back-to-back um, to back to back meetings because I know this is too exhausting for me uh, and I'm just not going to perform at my best. So why even entertain that idea? Um, yeah, there are a lot of like small things, a lot of boundaries that I set around when I work and how and the timing of things and the different types of activities that I schedule in on one day 
um, that maybe the average person would say like, oh, yeah, I can do a workshop and then three calls and then, you know, write this thing. And then and I'm like, no, that's just that's actually not physically possible for me. Yeah. Yeah, I can. I recognize that in my own behavior. It's nice to think about that. That others also think in those terms of energetic design and balancing it out. I think it really creates other opportunities when we start to design our days that way. For sure, and I think this is one of the one of the really important elements of preventing burnout and preventing. Yeah like crashing because it's a marathon that we're running. Like it's not a sprint. And for me, maybe I'm running a little slower or in a different rhythm than other people. But this awareness of my own patterns, even though I am sort of predisposed to chronic fatigue, it actually allows me to um, even more effectively prevent burnout because I'm so aware of it. So yeah. I have had periods in my life like where I've entered a burnout state where I wasn't honoring my limitations, but now I feel like it's actually kind of a superpower because I'm so in touch with what brings me energy and what's going to deplete my energy. Yeah. How did you know you were in a burnout state versus a state of chronic fatigue? How did you differentiate that? Um. I'm thinking of a moment which was in 2021, which I'm sure a lot of folks were not doing great in the winter of 2021 after a year of COVID. But that was a sort of like dark moment of the soul for me where, you know, just the prolonged stress and of, of the pandemic, um, prolonged uncertainty in my company. And I just started to feel like I didn't really have, um, I just couldn't really see the spark anymore for what I was doing and what I wanted to do. And so even though I might struggle with chronic fatigue on a weekly basis, I can still kind of see the sunlight through the clouds, if that makes sense. Like I can still see, even if it feels distant, what gives me energy and what I'm passionate about and what my gifts are and what I want to share with the world. And in 2021, I just sort of lost sight of that and wasn't really, yeah, I just wasn't really able to take a step in any direction, kind of like complete paralysis and then moving into like total apathy, which is the, the, the most dangerous side of it, I think, where you're just like, yeah. yeah, I don't really, I don't really care anymore. And, um, kind of just disconnecting from, from what, what I wanted to do. So how did you come out of that space? Therapy? <laughs> Coaching? Um, pandemic slowly ending. Um, but okay. I actually did have this really from one day to the next realization after like many months of struggling that hold on, I don't have to do this alone. That was the literal sentence that just came into my head one day and it seemed so obvious. 
but I had been doing it really genuinely alone, uh, trying to build my business in a really early stage during COVID by myself with not having an entrepreneur background. And I was like, of course I'm struggling. Of course this is incredibly hard. Um, so I, I got my first business coach and I signed up for therapy. So I extended my support network and um, yeah, slowly started to emerge from that space. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, of course. As we wrap up today, I asked all my guests five final questions at the end of the episode. Nice. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. Question number one. What is your definition of serenity? Hmm. I think my definition of serenity is allowing it's I think some kind of letting go. There's a word that just escaped me that I wanted that that encompasses this perfectly. Um if I had to think of serenity in an image, I would think of floating on my back in the ocean and sort of riding the waves gently. If you could master one skill instantly, what would it be? It would probably be conflict resolution or conflict mediation. I really admire people who can, um, who have that specific skill set of entering into conflicts and being able to bring people closer together or at least make sure that people's needs are met in conflict and not completely emotionally dysregulate, which is more like my approach. <laughs> Surrender, surrender. That was the word I was looking for with uh, the the previous question. Sur yes. Sur what is serenity? I think it's surrender. Surrender to what, or from what? Um, I think it's surrendering to just what, j just reality, just what is there, and not trying to control or force everything and i think that there's surrender and play also go hand in hand somehow for me play is also a kind of acceptance of what is emerging and being able to play with what is emerging and i think surrendering there's something there for me that has this same kind of energy what a beautiful flow and description and I'm thinking about even in, in a challenging period when things that are emerging seem more dark than light, being able to have that ability to see that serenity can also be found in that allowing the things to emerge and playing within the spaces of the cards that you're given. Yes, that I really believe, like for me, that is really what serenity is. It's like a perfect and it's, sum up of that. It's beautiful. Thank you. I'll take that with me. What is your favorite method to recharge during the workday? Mm, um, going on walks, dancing, 
like I like to turn on just really like funny music or like disco music or really like trashy pop music and just dance, especially if I'm feeling really anxious. That really helps me. Um, and like I said at the beginning, like I, I like to sometimes just say, you know what, I'm not going to move further on this right now and I'm going to do something completely different. I'm going to go to a museum. I'm going to decide to cook a really in-depth lunch and and use my time of cooking to actually just distance myself a little bit from this obsession with productivity. And every single time I do this, all my ideas fall into place. It's actually become part of my creative process. It's like, go and do something physical with your hands that is not your work and all your questions will be answered. It's like magic. That mixing a mental, physical, social energy is so important. Yeah. For me, it's critical because my my sort of default is to stay really in my head and to get frozen in my thoughts. And I've only in the last couple years started to really explore and honor that I need to physically move my body and to actually do things with my hands in order to think. And it's not just like, oh, it's a fun thing to do on the side. No, it's like it's part of my thinking process. What are you geeking out about right now? I am geeking out about the the field of regenerative everything. Um this this term regenerative sort of feels really alive in me the last few months um and this is a a phrase that comes from originally like from regenerative agriculture actually uh like a very different field than what i'm in but i've seen more and more people talking about how can we borrow some of these principles from nature, which nature is naturally regenerative, and how can we borrow that into the way we think about culture, like organizational culture, and also into our personal well-being. And so I'm all about cross-pollinating between fields. Like That's probably one of my gifts as a creative thinker, that I can really see connections between unlikely uh, topics. And there's just really a spark there for me in like, how can we create working environments and working lives that genuinely replenish us instead of deplete us? And so that's giving me a lot of energy. And I'm learning more and more about like mycelium and different, you know, sort of natural processes that could serve as inspiration for that. I never would have thought you hear about the term rejuvenation and replenishing your energy levels and those sort of things. And I never would have thought to bring it back to agriculture in that way. Yeah, agriculture and and just really like how ecosystems work because we are a part of the ecosystem. And the fact that we don't really see ourselves as a part of that or we feel really distant from it, I feel like is part of the problem. And 
And I've never been one who's really super in touch with that myself. And so this is a really new area of fascination for me. Yeah. And thinking about what is the ecosystem that you live in? What are the elements of that ecosystem? Mm -hmm. And almost mapping. You've got me thinking about mapping, like, how does my life and my ecosystem look like? And how can you map that onto thinking about like a natural environment ecosystem that would be more a traditional approach? Like, yeah. what do those two worlds look like? And how can you use that thinking about the regenerative nature of a natural ecosystem to your natural ecosystem? Yeah, for sure. And what are all the like, I love the idea of like, symbiotic relationships in which, you know, mm. ecosystems have tons of different symbiotic interconnected relationships between different organisms and plants and animals and natural forces. And yeah, so for me, the metaphor is rife for exploration. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The symbiotic relationship has got me thinking about business collaborations mm -hmm. and how we work with our friend groups. And exactly. All these sort of things of bubbling. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. You could tell you've got me all inspired. <laughs> um, okay. Last of the final five, assume you have achieved your optimal work-life blend. Describe a typical workday. Mm. This is a question that is hot on my mind right now. Um, I'm feeling the need for some big changes in the way that I work. And so this is, a, this is an emerging exploration. Um, I think... I would I would be working somewhere outside of my home, which is not currently the case. I have a beautiful office at home, but I'm feeling like I need to be elsewhere. And I would start work mid-morning, which is when my brain actually turns on. And I would be working alongside collaborators. Uh, which is a, something that I only do now sporadically, but I would like to have more a sense of, I'm not sure if it's a team or just people who I work closely with who have a shared vision, but that social element of building something together, I think is really a missing piece for me right now. I would be only having a few online Zoom call related things and otherwise for the rest of the day be doing things in person. Another big aha moment for me in the last year that I want to create a better balance between the remote work and the in-person work that I'm doing. And what else? Yeah, that I would feel... Um, as I ended my workday, that I would feel like I can really leave it behind and go home, change of scenery, and yeah, enter into my evening routine and feel like I experienced connection throughout the day, that I was able to use my gifts throughout the day and that I can go home kind of proud and happy and feeling like, yes, I'm tired in a good way. 
So as you can tell, my my ideal day is still very much of a vibe. It's like, how do I want to feel? And the schedule of that can, I think, can be many, many different things. Like the actual nuts and bolts of what I'm doing could be super different. But I think the emotional experience is the thing that I'm kind of dreaming about right now. Yeah. And I think having that feel of what you want is a great place to start. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious how I can get one step closer to that that vibe or that feel in the next year. That's really what I'm busy with right now, sort of setting my intentions for the year to come. Thank you for your time today. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I've been inspired by the aspects of what play can be, thinking about how we're designing our holidays and being energetic, your your story about the differences between chronic fatigue and burnout and how those things show up in your journey. There's just so many good pieces today. Thank you. Thank you so much. As we step away, what is the one thing you hope that the audience takes away from our conversation today? I hope that the audience is able to realize that you have so much kind of autonomy and ability to reframe, kind of coming back to the first thing we talked about, um, and to make this conscious choice for play every single day in what you're doing. And that a lot of times the shoulds are really something that we created ourselves, even though they can feel like they're this external thing that's being placed upon us. But there's just a lot of power that can come from putting on those play glasses and saying like, how can I find what is meaningful to me about this thing that I need to do or this holiday season or the way that I run my business? And how can I emphasize that and explore explore that with a sense of lightness and curiosity and this openness to fail, aka play? Um, that it's a choice that we can all make. And that's something that I would say is the most important thing to take away from this. Intrigued or inspired by today's episode, but forgot the details? Don't worry, I've got you covered. Visit engineeringserenity.com for a complete summary of today's episode, including timestamps, links, and other resources for your adventure. Wishing you strength and serenity, Evelyn out.